R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio Reemployability. Have you ever sat back and connected all the dots that have gotten you to where you are today? The new year is always a time to reflect on the past and the future. I was thinking last week about all the choices I've made and not made that put me here in Florida, a happily married father of three, in this role at reemployability, and at this moment, producing a podcast. It's the butterfly effect, right? Every action causes a reaction and so on and so on and so on. The littlest things that you do today may affect others way down the road. Well, today we're kicking off a two-part series with Dr. Claire Musselman, Chief Workers Empowerment Officer at NARS. Dr. Claire's perspective on workers' compensation will have you thinking closely about those small human interactions you have with injured workers each and every day. Dr. Claire Musselman, thank you so much once again for being with us today and taking some time out of your super, super hectic schedule. I know that you're traveling a lot, and but you're able to be home now and join us for, uh, hopefully will be a couple episodes to talk about the injured worker and your focus on the injured worker and what you're doing right now to, to make this industry much more injured worker focused. Would you mind just giving us a little bit of your backstory? So why are you such an advocate for injured workers? Sure, thank you so much for having me. Uh, the advocate for injured workers, I think, starts as like a deep-seated root. Um, my background is I was a foster child that was adopted. And so I've kind of started to own that story a lot more throughout the years, especially after last year I was um, presenting at the Comp Laude Awards for the People's Choice Award and came out with a pretty heavy story regarding that. And so since then, I've been able to own quite a bit on why I feel like it's so important that we really do everything that we can to take care of an injured worker. I think a lot of times the systems that we have designed over the years and over the hundred years for work comp, they are intended for good use, but don't necessarily lead to the right outcomes. Mm -hmm. I would also say that the foster care system operates in a very similar manner. Mm -hmm. And so I think I see a lot of similarities because my this was my purpose in life is to make good things happen for people, whether we're on the foster child or we are on the workers' compensation side. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of it comes from a misunderstanding of the intention and the purpose and to who we are actually serving. Uh, I think there are, when you look at, when we go into the foster industry for foster, excuse me, the foster system, for example, mm -hmm. you know, they are working with social workers that are the most amazing human beings on the face of the earth and also have a very thankless job. Mm -hmm. I would say that the adjusting role also is very mimicking of that, where there's a thousand hats to wear and we are dealing with a plethora of people who ha are multifaceted, and have a lot of multi-emotions that go into this. And so the systems are both designed very similarly. So I fell into workers' compensation coming back from a trip from Europe and just had a friend's dad who gave me an opportunity to come work in a law firm. And I got to see both sides of the spectrum. And I think that's where I really got to realize that there, there is a spectrum with it. There are good things and there are not so great things, but overall, I think the vast majority of people want to get better. They want to be functional contributing members of society. It's just how do we make it consumable and how do we design models that actually help people want to achieve that? Because call me crazy, but sometimes the systems aren't broken if the right people are profiting off of human suffering. Right. And I intend to be one of those game changers that does not allow the workers' compensation space to be that. 
I think it's interesting that you said industry um, because I think when you get into a um, you know the fosters instead of a system right it is an industry because I think people get into your day-to-day -day habits and your day-to-day -day, you know these are the metrics that I'm supposed to be hitting and these are the things that I'm supposed to be doing and that human element is absolutely taken out of it you know whether it's workers compensation or the foster and you know that it, it is and, and I think everybody kind of gets into that that routine of I got to get my job done I got to do this and because of because of all the outside pressures that people feel regardless my wife is a teacher I see it ah, yes. every day, right? I, I see, you know, the, the, the industry of being a teacher gets away from what the intention of what that is supposed to be. And, and so those types of roles, there's people not taking them now be, because it's, it gets into that type of thing. And I can absolutely see how the adjuster role uh, could, be, could be looked at that way. Now, you, you're doing some really special things now. You're currently with North American Risk Services. You've established the Workers' Compensation Center for Excellence. So tell us more about that. What does that mean and, and what are your goals for that? Sure, so the Workers' Compensation Center of Excellence, it's now trademarked, so I'm very excited about that. Oh, congratulations. So a division of North American Risk Services. So I'm very okay. happy that that is a home there because it's fun when you've got like a niche like that to really brand yourself because it does start yeah. with that and it starts with a vision and NARS has a very um, they have with their values called the NARS way and it's awesome because it really is about treating people like family which is the philosophy very similarly to how we treat people in the workers compensation space if you've ever worked for me or been around me or I've been on your team that's just kind of the way it goes yeah but it's really taking a lot of our expertise in the industry and our various backgrounds like we do have teachers we have social workers we have those with psychology actually we have a, an adjuster on our team right now that's going to get her doctorate in psychology wow. we've got a plethora of experience that brings people together in a way that you wouldn't normally see and i say normally not as a way that it's the way it should be done but it's just mm -hmm. not the stereotypical approach that the claims world has taken or the insurance industry has taken previously so we're taking different expertise, coupling it with education and a lot of science and psychology of, okay, what happens when we take those human elements such as empathy, emotional intelligence, and focus on that customer experience with the customer actually being the injured worker? Because if we are successful and doing everything that they need to be successful throughout this process, then we're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So it's been a shift of that. And a lot of it stems from different communication models. So looking at getting that injured worker back to life, but finding a way that we can actually empower them to do so. So it's not a, I'm in a system or I'm in an industry, or sorry, I'm in this systematic approach to a checkbox mentality where somebody called me because they had to call me. And then they right. asked me all these questions because they had to ask me these questions. But it's much more about motivational interviewing and having the right conversations that stem understanding and trust. Trust is a huge component of this. We're actually gonna go through like a three level thing next month on why is trust so important in the workers' compensation space. But this is where those human elements, we need more than ever, because this is where we're taking injured human beings that could be at their most vulnerable part of their life. And with so much uncertainty, especially with living in a pandemic right now, mm -hmm. now is like the heightened awareness of all of why human connection matters and checking in on people just to say, hey, how are you? What's going on? You know, what can I do to help you? This has been a really awesome time to bring something like this to the forefront because how we treat one another, including how we treat our claims operational teams, 
making sure that they have all of the tools and resources necessary to establish social determinants of health, understanding the biopsychosocial issues, because we all have them, especially those psychosocial issues, understanding how this the physiological approach manifests into somebody who has fear and how that actually creates more inflammation in the body and getting to understand how the whole mind, body, spirit type approach really plays into recovery and how the adjuster, or we call them workers empowerment specialists, really can have, they can be the single game changer to change the trajectory of somebody's life. Like they mm -hmm. can, by just having the right conversation, using the right tone, having a little bit more energy when they call, giving them resources or giving them ideas of ways that somebody can be empowered to take control of their care. And when we talk about it from a communication model standpoint, we try to focus on giving an injured worker options when there doesn't seem to be any. The workers' compensation system is very compliance-driven and every single state, all 50 states, have their own rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. And what we've found is when you are able to showcase, here are a couple options. For example, if you're going to be off work and you need to have payments issued for your indemnity, so your lost time payments, how would you like to get those? A lot of times, the adjusting desk typically is just, they're gonna decide for that injured worker, where we try to give you an option. Like, do mm -hmm. you still want a paper check? Do you want a debit card? Because sometimes they don't, people don't have bank accounts. Would you rather have an automatic deposit? And we can just follow up with you to let you know when it's coming into your bank account. Giving options where none seem available mm -hmm. helps build the trust and build that empowerment for the injured worker to take control over their recovery to become a functional contributing member of society again by getting back to work and back to their life, the most important component of all of it. It sounds like a lot of this training has to do just as much with the why behind what you're doing than the what itself. So yeah. you'd mentioned having people from different backgrounds there at NARS. So um, a lot of that must come from recruitment strategies or do you have to kind of implement a cultural transformation? I know that at a previous role that you had, and you know, we were chatting about this uh, before we, we started recording, it's when you were with Continental Western Group, you were experienced one of those cultural transformations. So how are you going about getting people to focus on the why and the human aspect of what you're doing. So I think it is, it's a cultural transformation for the entire industry. It doesn't matter what organization you're at. I have loved it when people are like, you are so full of it, this doesn't work. Well, yeah, it actually does. Right. It's funny and it's it's really fun when it's successful. Mm -hmm. But what I think that we have historically done, which is re the reason why the culture has not shifted in the industry as a whole, we tend to focus on the bad stories. We talk about the horrific claims or the fraud, or we talk about all the malingerers. We don't celebrate the wins. Mm -hmm. And so when we were making that cultural transformation in my prior life at Continental Western with the Workers Recovery Unit, shout out to those guys for still being fantastic and awesome because I know that they are plugging away and doing fantastic. We used to celebrate the wins of hey, I did exercise, care, compassion, concern. I made sure that my injured worker felt seen, heard, acknowledged, and valued. And that was reinforced on a regular basis, not only from a recognition standpoint, but when the adjusters can share with one another, like, hey, I did this for John. And then John calls at Christmas and leaves a voicemail about how one of our adjusters was the only good thing that came out of 2020. It was one of the mm -hmm. most beautiful voicemails I've ever heard, but he called to wish one of our adjusters Merry Christmas. I just wanted to let you know 
that you were the only good thing that came out of this year. Building those type of relationships and sharing those stories because you are that pivotal person in this in this injured worker's life. And all of the messaging in the media is just gross, but I think it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you know, negativity breeds. And if we could just shift that mm-hmm. lens so that we're showcasing the wins and the good things that happen. And when you send a card to an injured worker, and they write you back with a Christmas card or they start sharing photos of their family. We have been taught so much in this industry to dehumanize an injured worker, kind of like in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. There's X number of children. You're going to be labeled as a number in the work comp system. You're going to be labeled as a claim number. What about what? If, I don't like that. Like, what if we started looking at it by how many families do you manage and started looking at it from those human elements of understanding mm-hmm. These are human beings that the ripple effect will matter immensely to, just exactly the same as the foster care system. Mm -hmm. That one person that you spent five minutes extra on the phone, or maybe it's an hour. And while, you know, everyone is short on time these days, those are those pivotal (laughs) moments that showcase exactly the why it's important in what we do. Mm -hmm. The whole purpose. If, if when I talk to people, I like to reiterate like the whole purpose of coming into our industry is more like social work. Like you're mm-hmm. here because you want to help people. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then please exit because I don't mm-hmm. one don't want to work with you. And two, you shouldn't be in our industry to begin with. Mm-hmm. We need people that genuinely care about moving the industry forward to bring it one into 2020, which we're not even into the 2000s yet because we're so far behind with where we're at. Sure. But if we took this and we looked at this more from those bases of social work, psychology, sociology, understanding a lot of that science that goes into this or understanding the other components that drive human behavior as a whole, that's where this industry missed the bar X number of years ago. Mm-hmm. We've been so compliant on these rules and regulations that we forgot the biggest piece in medicine is your social factors and how you approach and your body makeup. The Mm -hmm. medicine is very small in comparison to all the other stuff that goes into play, Mm -hmm. but we don't train that way and we don't teach that way and we don't address the industry that way. Mm -hmm. The industry continues to be foremost formatted on a compliance and regulatory standpoint. And until that changes, it's literally going to be just having these little groups right now that pop up to be the workers empowerment team, the workers recovery unit, I know Berkeley Industrial Comp has the resolution team. Like there are some good ones going out there, but it's going to take a huge overhaul and consistency in celebrating these wins to get people to buy in. And I think the hardest component that goes into all of it, you have to care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. As simple as that, you have to care about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where I love the old Apple quote that was like, here's to the game changers and the misfits and the rebels. And I hope that's what I'm deemed at in the work comp space, because there is a better way to do this. It's more fun. It's more enjoyable. It keeps your engagement up. It helps alleviate burnout because people like what they're doing. They're actually helping people and they feel good about the work that they're doing. And so if we could shift that scope and shift that lens and start thinking about that, that's where I think those those trajectory it's needed from the industry as a whole to take it, take that pivot. So I think what you just said, I mean, there are so many questions to kind of follow up with the like the practical aspects of what you just said. And and I would love to talk more about those in maybe an episode or two in the future. We're kind of running out of time for this one. But to, to wind down today's conversation. 
Looking from a leadership standpoint in the workers' comp world, say somebody has just, they're, they're an account manager or, or at a higher leadership position and they're like, man, that sounds like a great idea, but there's just all this other stuff going on, right? You have to take baby steps to start this process. In your mind, what are some of those little pivotal um, baby steps that a leader can take to start changing the culture in, in their work environment? So I'll give twofold of an answer on this. So when we were creating the workers recovery unit, that was a team effort. These guys were amazing in wanting to be embracing of this, but we started it with a mindset shift because you have to start thinking differently before you can start acting differently. And so we started shifting words, which I think is one of the biggest components. You've got to start shifting your words. People know that if they come say the word claimant to me, I will one be unbelievably offended. And then I will correct you in front of everyone because I don't care. I heard you say that at the WCI <laughs> conference. That was great. Yeah, it is, but it's <laughs> it's a derogatory term. Yeah, uh, you know, we throw around like making sure that we don't offend people. That one will offend me, and you mm -hmm. know what? It should offend every injured worker on the face of the earth because mm -hmm. it's rude, and mm -hmm. it's you know what? I'm a human being. Right. Uh, the other component of this is we, so when we talk about a mindset shift, we started out with our days would start out with think of three good things or three things that you're thankful for. And then at the end of the day, we would revisit, tell me three good things that you're looking forward to on your way home from work, or what are you looking forward to tonight? And we started to shift our minds that when we arrived at work, we're thinking, okay, what am I thankful for today? And we did that for like 110 days where these wow. reminders would pop up in our Outlook calendar and whether people chose to write them down or not. I know I heard a lot of people that were like, oh, I'd see the reminder pop up and I just run through them in my head really quickly. But it starts to change your mind. It starts to change your anatomy in a way that your brain is wired. And so when you can start doing things like that, you're starting to program people to be in a more optimistic and a more thankful and practicing gratitude right on the forefront of the day before they've even picked up their phone. Mm -hmm. or before they've even started to respond to emails or get going on the day. And so changing that, it starts with you as a leader, one, doing it, and then continuing to practice that behavior. I'm mm -hmm. a professor at a university here in Des Moines, and that's how I start every single class. I'm like, all right, three good things since the last time we saw each other, and that's how we take attendance because when you are able to put somebody in that positive mindset, they're much more receptive to what's gonna happen, whether it be education or whatever the day is gonna throw at them, they have started it from a happier place. And I can't predict what's going on or what's gonna happen to people on their way into work or if what's going on with their kids or their pets or what's gonna happen, but I can help at least create a good positive environment from a mind standpoint when you come in, if you start your day with that and then to reinforce it when I call you and say, hey, you know, tell me three good things that happened to you over your holiday break or just checking in in those components that help people rewire the way that they're normally used to coming in. Mm -hmm. Dr. Claire, I am excited to talk to you next week. I appreciate your time and, uh, and thank you so much. Thanks for listening this week to REA Audio. If you have any comments or suggestions for an upcoming episode, please let us know. You can email Todd at reemployability.com. Also, please follow REA Audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out more content at listentorea.com. Now listen next week for the second part of our conversation with Dr. Claire. I hope we've inspired you to see things a little bit differently moving into 2022. Have an awesome and impactful rest of your day.